Let's pray and then we'll come to the Bible together. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, the Bible, for its honesty, for its clarity on issues that are real and that speak to our life in your world. We pray that you would help us today, that we might be people who are committed and equipped to care for one another, as well as Christians who are confident to persevere in trusting you even through the darkness. We pray that you would be especially close to anyone who's struggling today. I pray that whatever's untrue or unhelpful in this sermon, that we'd all forget it. Whatever's true and helpful and from you, that we'd all remember it and take it to heart. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Lisa woke up early but it felt like she'd never really been to sleep. Uh, She stares at her morning coffee knowing that what she needs it to do is far beyond its meagre powers. The drive to work is full of tears once again. She's not quite sure what she's crying about. In the office, she's dreading the questioning of of her boss. Where's that report that she promised to write? In meetings, she's been finding it impossible to focus and she can't remember the last time she's answered her phone without that overwhelming sense of fear. She walks around feeling as though she can only see about two feet in front of her. She declines the offer of dinner with friends. I'm too tired, she says. And at home again, it's a glass or two of wine and her favourite TV show, but they just don't bring the joy and the relief that they used to. Maybe another glass of wine. Well, at least it's Friday. But now she has to face the weekend. And what does she do about church? The sermon, the singing, the superficial conversations demand of her a joy that she can barely remember, let alone fake in a believable way. When will this end? Well, that's just the combination of conversations that I have on a weekly basis with people who are facing depression. As I said last week, if you wanted to change the series title for this, I would call it Normal uh, Struggles That Christians Face. Uh, Depression is an issue that will touch each and every one of us in different ways, at different times, in different seasons of life. Uh, and when I'm talking about depression, I'm talking about a spectrum where you might have uh, feeling sad down one end and clinically depressed down the other. Some of us won't make it all the way down to that end of the spectrum in our lives, but many of us will. But also, all of us will move on that spectrum depending on our circumstances, depending on our Uh, season of life, depending on our brain chemistry. Uh, The Australian Bureau of Statistics tells us that one in eight men and one in six women will be diagnosed with some kind of depression in their lives, uh, which is a fair number of people in this room, isn't it? And sadly, only 35% of people suffering depression will seek treatment. That's not a very good statistic. If you're someone who's suffering from depression, 
Uh, I want to encourage you today to get help, to seek treatment. I think there are two big mistakes that we can make when it comes to the issue of depression. We can make two big mistakes. One is that we think it's only a medical problem and so the Bible has nothing to say, which isn't true. The other mistake is that we can think it's only a spiritual problem and so that medicine has nothing to say, which likewise isn't true. Uh, I remember about 15 years ago being in a room of about 2,000 men and a pastor was asked to give advice to someone he doesn't know who's going through depression. What do you say? I thought it was brilliant. I've remembered it for the last 15 years. And in a room like this, where many of you I know and some of you I don't, And some of you I know are going through depression and some of you might be going through it and I don't know. How do I help you? Well, here's my advice. Here's the advice of a wise pastor to me 15 years ago. The advice is that you need to have two very good conversations. You need a trusted friend who will talk with you and pray with you and you need a trusted GP who will put together a plan for your help and your treatment. You need those two conversations, a good friend and a good GP. Make sure you have those two conversations. Don't let medication be the whole story, but don't think likewise that medication when you are depressed is an unchristian or bad thing. It can be very helpful and necessary. Talk to your GP and talk to a a trusted friend. But for this morning, we want to go to God's word and the help that I want to give, hopefully under God, is to look at the Bible's perspective, which as Pete said at the beginning, is very realistic when it comes to the up and down emotions of the human experience. Uh, I've found Psalm 42 and 43 to be a very comforting place to go. Psalm 42 and 43 Originally they think, the smart eggheads think that it was probably one psalm uh, and you can see the, the, the repetition throughout it. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturbed within me? And the great encouragement that we want to look to today when we feel downcast, when we feel disturbed, when we're facing depression, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. That's what is repeated throughout these two psalms. That's where we want to come back to again and again. About ten years ago, I remember going through an extended period, uh, whether you call it depression or just being down, and I found it hard to read the Bible and pray. Some of you will know that experience. And I remember going for a a couple of months where I just camped here in Psalm 42 and 43, praying again and again and reading again and again. Uh, It is where the psalmist is very real in expressing the full gamut of our emotions, uh, which is helpful especially in depression when you feel like you can't express your emotions and the psalmist can express them for you. But not only do the psalms express our emotions to God, in the psalms our emotions are addressed by God. And that's one of the great things that the Bible does for us. 
So as our emotions are expressed to God and God addresses our emotions in these two Psalms, here are the three things that I want us to see. The unavoidable reality of depression in this world, the unchangeable truth of the gospel that we need to stand upon and the unshakable hope that is our anchor and can lead us forward. That's what we want to see. And let's start with the unavoidable reality. So go back with me to the start of Psalm 42. Psalm 42. We see that the psalmist is dry, he's disheartened, he feels like he's drowning. Verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He is spiritually and emotionally dry. It's that picture, isn't it, of a deer, an animal in a drought, absolutely panting for water, wanting relief. Uh, But at least the psalmist has perspective. He knows that in the midst of that feeling that God is the answer. Whatever other answers there might be that will help his circumstances, he knows that God is his ultimate answer who brings ultimate relief. And so it's God that he seeks. He's disheartened, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. One of the effects of depression, I think, can be introspection, that kind of looking into yourself uh, in a way that kind of keeps going down and down and down and down. Um, If you ever wanted a visual of that, I think Picasso's Blue Period. Have you ever seen those pictures? The expressionless face, the the sunken shoulders, the the blues and greys. It's a good embodiment, I think, of that feeling. Feeling dry and disheartened. And having that introspection, that feeling within you that just goes down and down and down. And as he does that, he feels uh, not only the, the kind of juxtaposition of being dry, but also drowning, verse 7. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. He feels like God is sending wave after wave after wave and there is nowhere to plant your feet. Where will the relief come from? He feels dry, he feels disheartened. And not always, but frequently when you're feeling like this, when you're going through a period of this kind of depression, it can feel like God is absent. It can feel like you've been abandoned. You can ask with the psalmist, why have you forsaken me? Have a look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Not always, but often that is an experience of someone going through depression. Where is God? Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a great little book, a very real and raw little book called A Grief Observed. He wrote it after his wife died. And uh, articulating this experience, Lewis writes this. He says, Meanwhile, where is God? 
This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside and after that, silence. At least that's how it can feel, can't it? And one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is when that feels to be the case, what should we do? Where should we turn? One of the challenges, I think, when we feel like that or when a loved one feels like that, one of the challenges is to try to move away from that introspection. The unhelpfulness of going down and down and down in that spiral within yourself. The challenge, which can be very hard in the midst of feeling that way, is to take a step in the direction of God's unchangeable truth. Introspection is a symptom of depression where you can't see beyond how you're feeling. And one of the challenges is to stop analysing and to stop questioning yourself, to turn away from yourself and to turn towards the unchangeable truth of the Gospel. At a time like that, we need to put down the mirror of introspection in order to look through the window of God's word. We need to put down the mirror of introspection and look through the window of God's word. And when we look through that window and God takes us to the cross, we're reminded of that unchangeable truth that is bigger than our brain chemistry, that is bigger than our circumstances, that is bigger than our emotions the unchangeable truth that Jesus is a man of sorrows familiar with our suffering and that he came to do something about it. And as we turn away from ourselves to the unchangeable truth of the cross, we see at the cross that Jesus, bearing all our sin and shame and guilt, Jesus bearing all of God's punishment at our sin, came to do something about our suffering. Do you remember on the cross Jesus took the words of Psalm 22 on his own lips? When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry of dereliction, that cry of God forsakenness that you might feel at some points. When we look away from ourselves and look to the cross and hear Jesus cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're reminded of the unchangeable truth that at the cross Jesus was forsaken by God so that you can know for sure that you haven't been. That Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross so that you can know for sure that you haven't been. And the challenge in the midst of depression is to put down that mirror and to look through that window to see that unchangeable truth 
the truth of the gospel. And when the psalmist feels dry and disheartened and like he's drowning, that's what he prays God would do for him. Have a look at verse 3 of, of chapter 43. Verse 3 of chapter 43. The psalmist says, Send me your light and your faithful care, let them lead me. Or send me your light and your truth, let them guide me. Let me see through the window of your word the truth and the light that will bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell, that will bring me back to you, Lord. That his word might be the rock that you stand on and the light that leads you forward in the midst of your darkness. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones Uh, In his book, Spiritual Depression, he writes this. He says, the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring you back to the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? It is you yourself talking to you. And so the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, how to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, the psalmist, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. One of the challenges in the darkness and the introspection is to turn to the window of God's word and to preach to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves to remind ourselves of the rock of God's word that we need to stand upon and the light of God's word that we need to lead us through the darkness. To be reminded of the objective reality, the unchangeable truth of the gospel, of who you really are, of what Jesus has really done, of what your future really is. Keep preaching to yourself. Go to places like Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies Who is it that condemns? It's Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or depression? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the unchangeable truth. That is objective reality. And that's the the truth we need to stand on and the light that we need to shine in our darkness that we need to keep preaching to ourselves even in the midst of the fog. I was talking to a friend this week who's um, in the middle of battling another bout of depression and I said to him, this is what I'm going to say in my sermon, is that helpful? And he said, for some people it won't be. They won't be able to hear it. But for me, he said, in the midst of depression, the truth of the gospel is about the only thing I can be sure of. And so cling to it. Stand upon it. Rest in it. as we stand upon that unchangeable truth, inevitably it will lead us and point us to that unshakable hope that we can keep on our horizon even in the midst of the darkness and the fog. With the horizon of that hope, that unshakable hope, where we know that even through the darkest cloud it cannot last forever that there is a future coming where every tear is wiped away and every dark cloud dispersed. That is the hope, that is the anchor in the storm. Or to mix our metaphors, that is the ballast in our ship that stops us from capsizing. Because of that hope, we are unshakable, we are unsinkable in Christ. You will get tossed around, but you are unsinkable. You will get wet, but you are unsinkable. You get pushed under the water, but in Christ you are unsinkable because of who he is and what he's done, because of the unshakable hope that is guaranteed by his death and resurrection. There's a lady at the Hub of Hope who has memorised the whole chapter of chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. And each day she writes them out so that she remembers them, that they're in her hands and her head and her heart every day. And why do you do that, I said to her? Because that's my hope. That's our unshakable hope. Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making everything new.
Friends, for some of us, we will just go through seasons of feeling down and sad. For others of us, we will go through seasons of depression. And for some of us, we might be depressed each day we're given on this, life, on this earth. But we can be assured of this truth that Jesus is making all things new. And every tear will be wiped away and every dark cloud dispersed in the joy of his eternal kingdom. And until that day, in the midst of that unavoidable reality, we need to stand on the rock of that unchangeable truth and fix our eyes on that unshakable hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. William Cowper was a great hymn writer and he suffered terribly from depression all of his life. Uh, he attempted to take his own life a few times. But he had a great friend who cared for him in the midst of his depression named John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, Cowper's depression was never resolved. He died in April 1800. Uh, but in the midst of the darkness and the fog, he stood on the unchangeable truth with his eyes fixed on the unshakable hope. He wrote this great hymn. Let me read it to you. It's called, Oh, for a Closer Walk. In the midst of his depression, he writes, Oh, for a closer walk with God, the calm of sins forgiven, a light to shine upon the road that leads at last to heaven. O gentle messenger, return, return, O holy dove. I hate the sins that made you mourn and grieved your heart of love. Restore the happiness I knew when first I saw the Lord. Refresh me with the radiant view of Jesus and his word. From every idol I have known, now set my spirit free. O make me worship you alone and reign supreme in me. So shall my walk be close with God. My wanderings be forgiven, so shall his light mark out the road that leads at last to heaven. I don't know where most of you are at today. I do hope you'll come and pray with me or Joss or Pete and Emma and that you will fix your hope on the Lord Jesus even in the midst of the darkness. The hope that even when you feel forsaken, he will be with you. And even when you feel joyless, that there are eternal pleasures at his right hand. But when you feel like everything is hard, he will be your protector and your provider. And when you feel like your tears are your food, he will wipe them away as you share in his heavenly banquet forever. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that for each one struggling today, you would give us a good friend 
and a good GP. We pray that in the midst of the unavoidable reality of life in this world that includes depression, that you would help us to stand upon your unchangeable truth, that your word would be the light that leads us forward in the darkness and that we would have set our hope fully on the Lord Jesus, that our hope would be our anchor in the storm while we wait for Jesus to return. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.